Hi there, a quick note before we begin the episode. Did you know that Atlas Lingue has its own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life. In this audiobook, we share additional exclusive commentaries on each episode with brand new insights and examples on the subject that we can't stop thinking about, how humans translate everything that comes their way. Also remember, when you buy Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. So find Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life, on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Atlas Lingue, the show produced by Studio Ochenta that's all about culture, communication, and translation. I'm your host, Luis Lopez. And if you've ever taken Korean lessons or if you love learning about Korean culture, then you're really going to enjoy today's episode, where we talk to Buster Moon. Buster is a Korean language teacher and content creator based in Canada, and his social media content focuses on teaching useful words and phrases. In our conversation, we talk about how he encourages his students to continue learning Korean despite the challenges it comes with, mostly getting used to a different alphabet and grammar rules. And we also talk about how Korean media such as K-pop and K-drama has made a lot of people very excited to learn the language and engage with the culture. So here's our interview with Buster Moon. Sean, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for inviting. I'm happy to be a part of it. Of course. So uh, I'd like to start by asking you if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, the the community that you grew up in, and perhaps how that might have inspired you to become interested in, in teaching and creating content about language, what you, what you do right now. Right. So I was born and raised in Seoul, Korea. So that's where I came from originally. Then when I was 16, my parents asked me if I wanted to, you know, go to Canada and go to school there, right? And at first I didn't want to go, but then after giving a thought for a few days, I said, why not? So at 16, I came over, started going to school here, and then, you know, naturally started learning English. And then after that, going to university, I became very interested and passionate about learning other foreign languages. So I started learning Chinese and uh, I've also learned Italian, now learning Spanish. So I was a language guy in general. So I was always interested in talking about language to people around me with my friends and whatnot. Uh, so although language is not my was not my major in university, I was always interested. And then during COVID, I was home all the time. And I was like, I 
need to find something to do, right? So that's when I started teaching Korean online. I was uh, doing one-on-one tutor. And then I saw people making videos about Korean language on Instagram. And then I was like, I can do this too. I can start teaching online to lots of people on Instagram and other social media platforms. So that's how I started this journey and then how I got here. I like what you said about being the language guy and just having so much curiosity to learn other languages. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, what was it that sparked that curiosity uh, about learning different languages? Well, when I first came to Canada, I was 16. 16 is a young age, but not super young either. Uh, so a lot of people from Korea, when they come to you know Canada or America, when they're around 16, 17, like in high school age, there are some people who manage to learn English pretty well. And there are some people who struggle a lot. And I found myself being one of the ones that uh, who could actually you know, adapt to the environment and pick up the language pretty fast. So I felt that I have somewhat um, talent in this area. And then when I was in university, I had to pick a foreign language as an elective. And then I chose Chinese. And, you know, although I am from Korea, which is very close to China, these two languages are very different, but I was still able to manage and learn Chinese and I speak fluent Chinese now. And then I enjoyed learning these. Like it didn't feel like work. Like it was just something I truly enjoy. Right. So, you know, it just naturally became how it is. Was there a particular teacher or particular teachers that kind of like motivated that specifically that sort of found that passion in you and like helped you, well, develop it? Uh, Well, every language, my English, when I was in high school, there was a teacher who was helping all these international students from, you know, Mexico, Brazil, or Hong Kong, China, Korea, Japan. And she was very supportive and she helped so many people, and that's when I was really able to learn English properly. But I think in every language I studied before, had an important teacher. Okay. So moving on to your content now, more specifically, um, I've been watching a lot of your videos in preparation for this, and uh, I found that you explain things really well. You know, I, I particularly enjoyed the one where you, this is one of the longer ones in, in your YouTube channel, uh, where you break down the letters and positions in each syllable in the Korean writing system. And even though I personally wasn't actively looking for Korean lessons, I've always been kind of curious to to learn it and just to know, you know, just more about it. But I found myself like honestly really enjoying them. And it really made me want to learn to like pause the frame and like try to read it myself based on what you just explained and all of that. So I wanted to ask you, what sort of things do you find are perhaps the most enjoyable, easiest and on the other side, the hardest concepts to explain in your content to learners of the Korean language. Right. So Korean is, I always say Korean is not an easy language. (laughs) So a lot of people, like more and more people are getting interested in learning Korean because of K-pop, K-drama and everything else, right? Um, But Korean language is quite complicated. It's not one of the easiest languages. Like if you speak English, Spanish 
is not so difficult if you actually put time and effort into it, right? A lot of people manage to learn Spanish pretty well. But if you were to try and learn Korean, you know, at first you're very motivated, but it gets quite challenging. It's because you have to learn the whole different writing system. The letters are completely different, but that's the easiest part, actually, because unlike Chinese and Japanese, you don't have to know Chinese characters to, you know, read and write Korean. The best part of it, we have our own letters and that's the only thing we use. And there are only, you know, 24 letters you have to memorize, which is not so challenging, right? But then pronunciation is difficult. The Korean grammar is very complicated because the word order is different. Um, we put our verbs at the end of the sentence and there are things that it just takes quite a bit of time to get used to. So um, for me, it is critical to try and find a way to explain these concepts that are totally different from a lot of people's native languages into something that's um, concise and clear. And I think a lot of people kind of, they think that the way I explain things are somewhat easier to understand. It's probably because, um, you know, it's coming from my past experience in learning foreign languages because I've tried learning, you know, many other different languages from different parts of the world. And I know the pain points when you're trying to learn a foreign language. There are many obstacles, but I've gone through a lot of these. So, you know, taking from my past experience and trying to um, look at the Korean language from a foreigner's point of view. That's my approach to teaching Korean. I like that, for example, uh, in the videos that I've watched, you explain how to pronounce certain things. Like you said, for example, that there's an R that's similar to the Spanish or Italian R, right? I like how you explain that in ways for more than just an English-speaking audience, but for people who like maybe already are familiar with, with other languages as well, right? So the Korean R consonant, actually, it does sound pretty much like the you know Spanish R sound, except that we don't roll it like we don't do that sound. But you know when we enunciate the Spanish R sound, your tongue touches the palate, right? But in English, when we say, for example, radio, your tongue doesn't touch anywhere, right? So a lot of people do know that sound of the Spanish R. So if I use that for... Like in pero. Yeah, pero, right? Exactly. The same sound. That's mm. that's why Korean people, it's easier for them to learn Spanish than uh, some other people from Asian countries in terms of the pronunciation. And vice versa, too. You know, Spanish people are not going to have any problems trying to pronounce that Korean R sound. Whereas American people will, they do have um, a lot of difficulties trying to master that sound too. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the the alphabet because I just found it so interesting having seen examples of it and, and your explanations. Uh, and I love how intuitive it is. And I love how you, in your content, you make it very clear how intuitive it is to read. Um, once you, obviously, once you learn the vowels and consonants and can identify them by how they're written and all of that. And I find it actually quite fun to look at like random words or names in Korean now and try to see like what sounds, what letters I can notice, right? Do you find that many students find that 
challenging in a fun way? Like, is it something that many students find difficult and like annoying, kind of like an obstacle to overcome, like a different writing system? Or do you find that it's more of a, like a fun challenge to, to learn this new writing system? A lot of my students find it rather fun than being very difficult because it's the first step, right? When you're learning a language from the beginning, uh, you're very motivated and um, everything seems so interesting, right? And Korean writing system, the letters do look very interesting. People think, you know, it looks very cute. You know, we have like straight lines and circles. Some, some constants look like a person or right. a person with a hat. So they, they look very interesting, right? And because there are not so many, like I said, there are 14 consonants and 10 vowels that you have to know. It is obviously not super easy uh, when you first encounter them and trying to memorize all 24 letters, but it is challenging, but it's not so overwhelming. So a lot of people do enjoy learning the letters, but the difficult part um, about learning Korean alphabet is the pronunciation of each letter. We do have Korean G, but it doesn't necessarily sound exactly the same as the English G. So a lot of people struggle finding that subtle difference and, you know, because they're so used to pronouncing the letters in only in their own language, um, it is very hard to adjust the sound to make themselves sound more like a native Korean speaker. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the pronunciation because it's another thing that I was noticing that it's it is challenging and like it's one thing that when I listen to your explanations, I I feel like I can kind of understand it, but it's like I'm not sure if I'm there or not, you know, like because mm-hmm. I know that when you explain the G sound, you say that it kind of sounds like a like a soft K, but there's another K sound as well, right? right. And separate, and, and I think similar to the B, right? It kind of sounds like a P with a like an like with an aspiration, right? Right, but, right. But but it's different from a P sound properly, right? From what I understand. Uh, yeah, there are four different sets of these consonants where there is a soft G sound and then, I mean, soft K sound, and then uh, there's like a strong K sound, right? There are four different pairs. And that is, I would say, the most challenging, uh, but could be most rewarding part of learning Korean consonants, yeah to actually hear that difference first and then mastering it so you can actually make the difference yourself when pronouncing those letters. I wanted to ask you also about the shorter form uh, content in your channel, right? In your TikTok channel mostly, Mm -hmm. Uh, because I I like that obviously it's different in in your YouTube channel. You have these obviously longer explanations about, about the writing system and the sounds and all of that. And here, of course, you're focusing mostly from what I see on specific words or phrases, uh, which is obviously very useful and very specific contents, right? You have these videos about like uh, how to say, I don't know, or how to say like maybe, or how to say all of these like very specific uh, words. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how you decide those contexts where you create those uh yeah, teach those words, right? I, I noticed that sometimes they're obviously very useful uh-huh. contexts for people who are learning any language, uh, like different contexts. Right. But there's also like other ones that are more fun, like maybe that are about how to write the names of uh, members of BTS or other groups or like more 
like specific things to culture and all of that. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how you decide the the scenarios of your different videos. So when I think about what kind of content to make and post on, you know, Instagram and TikTok, obviously um, these days people's uh, the focus span is very short, right? People only can focus for few seconds <laughs> so um it is really important to make it as you know short and informative as possible right um so i have to always think about teaching things that are relatively simple i don't want to go into complicated grammar so yeah. you know things like how to say yes how to say no how to say hello uh that's easy enough and short enough so that people can focus and actually consume that content and absorb it. So uh, my main focus is how to keep Korean learners engaged and interested. And even if it's a simple thing, if it's the content is too dry, they're going to get bored. If I say, you know, how to say hello in Korean and I say, 안녕하세요. and if that's the end of the video, it's not so engaging. So sometimes I try and do some acting like I, play two different roles, right? I Oh yeah. I say hello and then I try and become another character and say hello back and things like that, you know. And now that you mentioned the acting, I love that sometimes you also include a little bit of humor, right, in the sketches. For right. example, I remember one where you talked about different levels of politeness and formality, right, depending on if you talk to your younger brother or to your grandparent. Uh, and then like the way that the, that the other person reacts can also have some humor as well, right? So Right. So when I write the script, those you know, humor or like funny lines, they just come up to my mind. So, you know, if, if I think that's going to be pretty funny, then I just include it. And then people, people enjoy that for sure. And also, I mean, you were talking about how, of course, in these videos, you don't stop to like explain grammar or that sort of thing, because it's much shorter. And it's like about addressing a specific word for a specific context. But I like that you still do a little bit of that from what I can see, like in the sense that when you break down a phrase, you say like, this is a word that we use that means uh, that you're good at something or, or you know, that, that you like something. And, and like, it's a word that's used in a context where like, there's obviously not a literal translation with the English phrase that you're translating, but you still like stop just a little bit to let the, the viewer know that this is a different word. And maybe you're not giving us a full context, but like, it's enough to know that like, grammatically, this is kind of what's happening here, right? Right. So after you know, making many videos, um, teaching simple words and simple sentences. This is something that I uh, struggled because I didn't want to keep teaching the same thing over and over. There's only so much you can teach um, about the very beginning uh, level Korean stuff, right? So I wanted to provide a little more information and value to my followers. So I started adding just a little bit of grammar breaking, you know, simple sentences down so they understand why this is added here, not at the end or in between, right? So a lot of videos, if you see, I start by saying how to say this in Korean, and then I say it first so people can try and repeat after me, and then I do the breakdown, right? So this means that, this means that, and, you know, shortly 
telling people why it is there. And then I move on to the skit where I do some editing. I wanted to ask you also about, you mentioned it a little bit earlier when talking about like the interest in Korean language coming, if not mainly, at least like largely from a group of people that have been consuming Korean media a lot, right? Uh, Of course, Korean culture has become very globally successful recently, perhaps in the past decade or so, right? Uh, With such a boom in K-pop, K-drama and movies such as Parasite, having huge fandoms in all of these areas. Uh, And I I would love to know what you think about that and what you think uh, draws people to enjoy Korean media so much. So because I am from Korea, I grew up in Korea from 90s and, you know, I lived in Korea before, you know, K-pop and K-drama, K-movie were getting exported globally, right? But when I, when I was a maybe elementary school, when I was really young, Korean music and dramas were already getting really popular all over Asia. So I think it is because Korea is a small country, right? Korea experienced the war before and we, you know, our situation economically, it wasn't, it wasn't great back then, but then Korean people worked hard to, you know, bring the country up to the level where they can actually compete against other countries and domestic market wasn't big enough. So that's why we had to make something really good so that other countries can actually consume our content. So in that sense, I think that's what um, actually motivated Korean people to be great. So those started getting exported. And then same thing happened with K-drama, the quality of the drama, the storyline, people's, the actors acting skill and everything was just um, outstanding. Like it just stood out. So people from China and Japan started watching K-dramas, right? And then because of YouTube probably, and you know, with Netflix and everything, everything can go globally so fast now. So Korean content was just ready but maybe didn't have a way to approach the Western countries. I still want to talk about how that impacts, for example, your teaching. You mentioned that a lot of your students are interested in learning Korean because they got into K-pop or K-drama or just Korean media in general. And you also mentioned that it's a language that is that has its challenges because of the different writing system and also the grammar is challenging. So... What's something that you do to keep those students motivated if they perhaps like didn't realize how difficult it was going to be? I don't know if you've you've had students like that that were like really interested and suddenly uh, started to struggle with all of these concepts. What's something that you like try to do to motivate them to continue? I've been focusing on the Korean students who are at the beginner level until now. I haven't quite moved on to like intermediate and advanced because whatever language you're trying to learn, the beginner level grammar and vocabulary is the most important, right? Um, if you have the really good foundation, you can build on top of that, even by yourself, by watching movies or TV shows from that country. And another thing, I don't give false hope and I don't say, oh, Korean is an easy language. You're going to be fluent in in an year, right? But I say, um, if you really devote your time and effort 
you might be able to speak Korean quite fluently, maybe after two years. Consistency is the most important thing when you're trying to learn a language, right? And in that sense, Duolingo helps you achieve that, right? It motivates you to build a streak and you don't want to break that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like you probably won't be fluent in any language just with Duolingo, right? But it's a good tool to keep you uh, exposed to the language, right? Like at least thinking a little bit in that language, just a little bit every day, right? When you learn a language, you are likely going to need to have multiple resources to learn the language. So Duolingo is not going to be your sole resource, right? You're going to need to have uh, maybe a book or you're going to have to just, you know, try and listen to a Korean podcast. Also, you might need a teacher, right? But I think adding that extra Duolingo five minutes every day, I think it still helps. I also wanted to talk about in your content, I've noticed that I guess, obviously, as a part of this whole fandom for Korean media, uh, I noticed that like you also include uh, a lot of references to Korean pop culture, right? I think in a couple of them, you did like these squid game style challenges, right, uh, as well. What are some of these that like have been the most fun to you in terms of like bringing something like from Korean pop culture and bringing it as a language teaching resource? Something that comes to my mind is definitely using the clips of BTS <laughs> into my video. So they grew by sharing their life on social media. When they were not famous, they started filming their work and how they lived. From those videos, you can actually see them speaking a lot of Korean. So a lot of BTS fans actually learned a lot of Korean phrases just by watching their content. I was trying to find some of the simple sentences or words that they said in those videos. And then I took that into my video and started teaching those simple words and phrases. And a lot of my followers, they are BTS fans. So they're just hooked onto the video right away. They're so engaged. So I try to use whatever my followers are into, uh, right? When they're watching a K-drama, if it's getting really popular, uh, it's a good opportunity for me to incorporate that and then use it in my video. And Squid Game was the same thing. Um, it was getting super popular during COVID, right? And then, you know, first thing came to my mind, I should get that, you know, the suit and the mask, <laughs> trying to make myself look like the character from the show. So a lot of people enjoyed that as well. And uh, I guess like a little bit related on that note, I know that you also like to share interesting facts about Korean life and culture. What are some other fun and interesting facts that you enjoy sharing about Korean life in your classes or just, you know, in general? There are many things. Um, usually if we have something very different from other parts of the world in terms of the culture. That's something I would like to share the most, right? Uh, one of the main things that comes to my mind is the Korean age, right? So in Korea, when you're born, you're already one year old because you've lived your life close to a year in your mom's belly, right? So when you're born, you're one year old. And then everyone gets a year old on New Year's Day. So January 1st, everyone from your year gets a year older. Oh, okay. So when you go to your class, 
everyone has the same age. No one is, you know, some, some, some are 15 and some are 16. Everyone's going to be, you know, 15. Right. It doesn't depend on the birthday because if you're born in the same year, you're pretty much the same age because if you're a year older or you're younger than somebody, the way you speak to the person is going to be different because we have different politeness levels, right? Oh, so okay. even if you're in the same class, if you have a classmate who's older than you, then you're going to have to speak politely, which is weird. You're in the same class. Oh, right. I think that's how the Korean age system started because of that. So sometimes a really funny thing happens. If you're born on December 31st, you're one, right? Uh-huh. And then the next day, January 1st, you're two. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you've lived only 24 hours, but you're already two years old. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. So those type of things I definitely like to share and people are like, oh, that doesn't make sense, but it's, it's funny, right? And that's how it is in Korea. But I think the Korea is trying to go away from the age system because Korea is the only country who is using that. But I think in my personal opinion, they should keep it. It's, I think it's unique. It's what makes Korean culture unique. So I don't mind it, but yeah. Now I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience as a Korean living in Canada. I wonder if there's still some cultural differences, maybe not that you're not used to, because I'm sure you are already by now, but that still kind of like you find amusing or interesting. Uh, and if there's something that you that you miss about home, something that you that you try to find comfort in, perhaps in Korean communities near you, or how does that work, you know? I've gotten used to the life here in Canada for sure because I've been here for you know close to 20 years. And um, sometimes when I go to Korea, there are things that I'm, I forgot. Like I sometimes do get culture shock about Korean culture. What's an example of that, of, of something that like now going back to Korea, you're like, oh, right, this is how it is, right? Canadian people are nice, but there's something that... Um, still lacks, I would say, uh, from a Korean perspective, because in Korea, we have this thing called tone. That's the word, tone. Uh, it is really hard to translate, but it could be love, it could be friendship, it could be generosity, things like that. So in that sense, I think Canadian people are a little bit more individual. Uh, they're nice to people, but they don't really like sharing things. I'm not trying to make everything, generalize everything, but there's this thing called chong in Korea. And a lot of people, foreigners, when they go to Korea and live and, you know, have make uh, Korean friends and, and that's what they actually feel, you know, different kind of like love that's being shared around. And I think that's a little bit different here. Yeah. Oh, of course. I guess a final question that I wanted to ask before, like a very quick lightning round uh, at the end is from what I read in your channel, I understand that you are planning on working on videos about your own language learning experiences. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. What has that journey been like for you? What would you like to share in those videos about those experiences, uh, learning all of these languages? So um, I've been focusing myself on growing my social media, like on Instagram, TikTok, but they're all focused on short form content, right? But the next step for me is to make long form content. 
and I would like to become a YouTuber. So I would like to start making long-form content about my you know, language learning journey. For example, I'm learning Spanish right now. Right now, I know the basics. I know how to say simple sentences, but I, I still have a long way to become fluent in the language. So I would like to start sharing my journey so people can actually see myself not so fluent, but then getting to that, my end goal, then people will get motivated. And I would like to do that by actually, you know, going to Mexico and, you know, maybe spend some time there, interact with the Mexican people. So I want to do language and travel combined together. Put yourself in the student shoes as well, right? And maybe like, uh, maybe people who follow you are used to seeing you obviously as a teacher and as fluent in the language that you're teaching. And so if you show yourself to be well, actually, I'm also learning and I also struggle with things. I guess that makes it more relatable for people who are learning Korean as well. So like, we're all struggling when we learn a new language, right? Right. After all, I'm, I'm a language learner too. It's just I'm not learning Korean, but something else, right? And we're all the same, right? And because I've tried learning different languages, some from Asia, some from Europe, I have maybe a little more experienced than most people. So I would like to share my journey, my experience. Now that I've become a content creator, I think I do have some responsibility to, you know, keep providing those type of value. Right. Okay. So that's it with, with my general questions. I just have a very quick lightning round that I want to do with you. Uh, so here it goes. Uh, the first one is, What's the word that you most enjoy teaching to Korean language learners? It can be either because of its like unique definition or pronunciation, but what's the word that you really like enjoy teaching? Aigo. Aigo is something that it's like an exclamation. So it's very useful. You can say this when you're happy. Let's say, Aigo, my son came back. Or if somebody got sick, let's say your family got sick and you heard about that. And then you can say, I go to show that uh, you're worried and things like that. So it can be used in a very happy setting. It can be used also in a very sad um, setting as well. So it is very versatile word that can be used anytime. Um, it is very unique Korean word, uh, which I love the most. And that's why I call my Korean school, Aigu Korean school. <laughs> oh, nice. It's like a word that once you know when and where to use it, it, it like shows that you understand the language a bit better, right? Right. And they say it a lot in K-dramas. So a lot of Korean learners, most of them, they already know it before they start learning because they watch K-drama all the time. So it is something that people know already. So, yeah. Well, so much for the lightning round, because I'm already doing follow-up questions on that, <laughs> but it's just so interesting. Um, okay, but but next question, um, what's your favorite Korean comfort food? I would say kimchi soup. It's called kimchi jjigae, okay? So kimchi is one of the most famous Korean traditional food, right? It's fermented cabbage, spicy. Korean people make this soup with kimchi. Uh, we put like tofu and stuff like that in the soup and it is very common dish. People cook it all the time at home and it just makes you feel home. Final one, now that you mentioned that you are learning Spanish, what what's like your 
but the favorite thing that you've learned so far, either like a word or a phrase or just your favorite thing currently about the language as you're learning it? I don't know. One of my main goals for learning Spanish is to be able to understand, you know, watch, you know, soccer in Spanish and understand the commentators, right? Because they speak super fast when they <laughs> comment about the during the match, right? Uh, I would like to understand that. And then, you know, they say words like colasso and things like that, right? So I would like to know um, more about the football terminologies in Spanish. Spanish-speaking commentators of, of soccer is just such a unique sound. It's just so such a part of the culture, like watching soccer. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, if, is there anything else that you would like to add? Uh, maybe if, if they'd like to let us know where we can find you on social media or everything else. Uh, if there's people who are listening to this and want to start learning Korean, um, I actually started uh, giving out my free ebook on how to read and write Korean. So it teaches you how to, you know, all the consonants and vowels. Um, so I'm giving out for free. So if you're interested, you can go to bustermoon.substack.com and you can just subscribe to the uh, newsletter and you should be able to see the post where you can download the ebook for free. Awesome. Okay. So uh, I think that's it. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for your time and, and for all of this. This was great. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you very much, or shall I say, kamsamnida, to Buster Moon for talking to us. I've always thought the best language teachers are also great language learners, so I especially loved how much of a language enthusiast he is. Not only in teaching Korean, of course, but in learning and practicing other languages like Spanish and Italian. You can follow Buster Moon on Instagram and TikTok at Buster Moon, with X's instead of O's. So that's Buster M-X-X-N. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Ochenta Podcasts and on TikTok at Studio Ochenta. You can also watch this season's interviews and more of our shows on our YouTube channel at Ochenta Podcasts. Thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, it's Luis here, and I want to tell you about a show we've been listening to called The Pulso Podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news, but this is one of the first we've heard that really utilizes the throughline of history to provide more context and nuance to our stories. From the halls of Congress to the stages of Broadway, even the food we consider to be American, Latinos helped build this country, and we're not going anywhere. 
Yet most podcasts are still lacking Latino representation behind and in front of the mic. The Pulso Podcast is a Latina-hosted, Latina-produced show that explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the experiences of nuestra gente. They've covered topics from beauty standards and gender equality to mental health and food origins. And did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star-Spangled Banner? Or that a team of Mexican lawyers changed the future of segregation laws in the 50s? To hear more, check out the Pulso podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.